Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing our series looking at portraits of people who pray and come today to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and the life of Solomon. Yesterday at Bethesda Church, Pastor Roy looked at how Solomon had a desire to bring glory to God. Encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy as he looks at Solomon, a man with a promise. Today we continue our series on portraits of people who pray. Uh, we have looked at the life of Elijah, a man with a passion. We have looked at the life of Nehemiah, a man. Of purpose. Last week we looked at Daniel, a man with a practice. Today we look at Solomon. This isn't advancing. Might have to hit it for me. There you go. A man with a promise. A man with a promise. If you'll take your Bibles and just open them to Second Chronicles chapter 7, we have a memory verse this week, 2 Chronicles 7.14, and while I read that verse, uh, I'm going to spend really the message on what surrounds that verse. Uh, oftentimes I have heard messages on 2 Chronicles 7.14, but oftentimes I fail to hear the context of what that verse is really saying. And so when we look at this verse, we are actually looking at some words that Jesus says, or God says, to Solomon after he had finished building the temple. And he says in verse 12, actually, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, we can relate to that. Or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It is a wonderful promise that God gave to Solomon and the Israelites. And you say, well, why are we going to study? It wasn't a promise to us, the church. Not primarily, but secondarily, I believe there's a secondary application that if we as the church will humble ourselves and we will pray and we will seek the face of God and we will turn from our wicked ways, that we too as the church will hear from heaven. Because I think the New Testament bears that out. It talks about God's people being humble, God's people praying and seeking his face, God's people turning from their sin. So the message has not changed. We will hear from heaven as well if we are willing to seek the face of God passionately for what he would have for us as a church. Now, in this story, we're going to read about and, and focus on the whole aspect that Solomon was given the challenge to build the temple in Jerusalem. Now, prior to that, remember, they came out of Egyptian bondage. They were working their way through the wilderness they were instructed to build a tabernacle. This tabernacle was a temporary building that was portable. 
It, they were on a rendezvous with God, as it were, making their way through the wilderness in this temporary tabernacle that was to represent God's presence among the people. But God had a desire to build a, a temple, and actually David wanted to build it, and he said, no, you are a man of war. He said, I need a man of peace. And so he says, I will choose your son to build this temple for me. And this temple was magnificent. It wasn't a huge structure. It was only 90 feet long by 30 feet wide, but it was overlaid in gold. It was an absolutely beautiful temple that God wanted for his people to come and worship. Now, one thing I want to say as a side note, it is interesting in our culture today that we are facing a culture where say, people, well, we don't need to worship God in church. We can do that wherever we are. I agree with you, but let me give you one additional challenge. Why did God then build a temple in Jerusalem for his people to come permanently to worship? I think because he wanted to establish his name, and in that temple, he said, this is a temple that Solomon built for the name of God, that God would be known, and he would be glorified in and through that temple. So as we look at this today, we're only going to actually focus on a couple aspects of Solomon's uh, prayer, and I'm going to give them to you right here. First of all, he recognized God's glory, and I'm going to actually spend the bulk of time on this point right here because this is... came in the manifestation of a cloud. The cloud filled the temple, filled the tabernacle. It came in the form of fire and, and, and filled the temple that we're going to see. And then it disappeared. It disappeared because God's people rebelled against him. And, it's, and it tells us in the book of Ezekiel, we won't take the time to read this morning, but if you look in the book of Ezekiel the prophet, he talks about the, the glory cloud that went up out of the temple, above the temple, and then it began to leave the city. It is one of the saddest commentaries in the Bible because the glory of God departed from Jerusalem and it never returned for several hundred years until Jesus was born. The glory of God returned. All right, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice, to the glory of God. Look at this, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God's general revelation that we have to see his creation, it proclaims his glory 
to us and that he is real. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this should be one of the questions we always ask. Should I engage in this activity or should I engage in that activity or should I do this thing or that thing? Um, Does it add to the glory of God or does it take away from the glory of God? If it takes away from the glory of God, then I should not be involved in it. The Bible talks about abstaining from the appearance of evil. So it's all about the glory of God. And interestingly enough, then, when we get into the gospel in Romans, it says, for all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and have fallen short of what? The glory of God. You see, because we have sinned and we have been born in sin, we are short of the glory of God. When God comes into the life of a believer, now he has this desire and opportunity to glorify God in his life. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do to bring glory to God. That is not only true for the individual, it is true for the church. God wants his church to glorify him more than anything else. To glorify him. So Solomon in his prayer recognized God's glory. Let's look at this in 2 Chronicles 6.13. Solomon made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and set it in the court and he stood in it. And then look what he does to to dedicate this to the Lord. He knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. In the Old Testament, that is the way that believers would, would recognize God as they would spread out their hands before heaven. It was almost like, God, I'm in a position of humility and I'm in a position of surrender to you. I'm in a position of acknowledging that you are the great God that you are and you are so much greater than I am. And so that's what Solomon did. We see his great humility. We see his great surrender. We see his desire to glorify God in building this temple to the Lord. And notice too, when he offers this prayer, I won't take the time to read the whole passage because we won't have time, but if you take the time to read through it, you'll find out that when he offered this prayer of dedication, he did so not inside the temple, but outside the temple. And do you know why he did that? Because he was a king and not a priest. Only the priest was allowed to go in and do such a thing. And therefore, he offered it outside the temple, in the court, showing that he was, again, submitting himself to the authority of God, saying, I will not go outside my position of authority. And his humility uh, to the Lord. He goes on to say here in 2 Chronicles 6.14, And said, O Lord, He goes on to say in 6.18, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. He recognized the greatness of God, and he built this house for God's glory. That's why it's overlaid with gold, and it is one of the most beautiful buildings that's probably ever existed. Of course, it doesn't exist now. It's been destroyed because God's people did not obey him. And God promised that if they would not obey him, they would destroy that temple. And that's what happened. But he says, the highest heavens cannot contain you. It was interesting when we did our trip to Israel. Uh, we went all around uh, the, the Dome of the Rock, which you're going to see a picture of tonight, uh, which is actually under the Muslim control now. 
that control that, uh, but that is the place, the area where the temple that Solomon built was. It was right there. And right along the back western wall is the, the wailing wall. And since going to Israel, we've learned now that there's two wailing walls in Israel. Now, some of you may have heard us say, wait a minute, two? What do you mean two? Well, we, were, uh, we saw the western wailing wall, and then as we were driving in our bus one day, the guide said, over there is the IRS building. That's the second wailing wall in Israel. So the IRS building, I said, we have one of those too. We've got a wailing wall in America too, uh, the IRS. Um, so in, anyhow, to make this dedication, uh, he's recognizing the greatness of God and the glory of God. Now I have a question. What caused Yahweh to reveal his glory? Yahweh is the name for God, the Old Testament name for God, the name they would have used. What caused Yahweh to reveal his glory? This was a question I had as I was studying this text. I'm like, well, why did God choose to reveal his glory at this particular time? So I looked back through the scripture again to try to understand and uncover why did God choose to reveal his glory and what might we do today for God, see God's glory revealed in the church? And so here's the four ideas that I see. Number one, Solomon's heart to build the temple for the honor. So put his name on the church. And so what is our role as believers in the church, as part of the body of Christ? It is to promote the glory of God in the church and in the world. God's name is at stake. It's on the church. We represent the name of God. As we go out in the community, we represent his name. How do we want him to be represented? By how we live. How should we live? According to his word. And that's the second point, that we live according to his word. But we want to, God's glory to be manifested by how we live. Look in 2 Chronicles 6, 32 and 33. Likewise, when a foreigner, here's someone who is...
They're not coming into a country club or some other social club. It's a church, and it's the church of the living God and our reflection of his glory to the world. That is our responsibility, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. And I got a verse here that I am going to share. I was going to share it at the end, but let me just share it with you right now so that you have heard me talk about the idea of corporate prayer and why it is so important, I believe, for the church. Let me just give this to you. In Isaiah 56, 7, he says, These will I bring to my holy mountain, he's talking about Jerusalem, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Notice he didn't say in my temple. In my house of prayer, he's referring to the temple. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The church should be no different. So my question to the church, to Bethesda Church and every other church, is when do we make it a house of prayer? When do we do that? When do we gather corporately to lift up the name of God, to exalt the glory of God, to make this place a house of prayer? That's why I'm challenging us to come together on Wednesday night. We don't have a wana. One night a week to gather corporately to pray. And more than just for ourselves, if we're coming just for ourselves, we're coming for the wrong reason. We should be coming to promote the glory of God to be united to honor this God, that God's name is on this place, God's people. God puts his name on the temple and on his people. God puts his name on the church and on his people. They will be my people and I will be their God. So the glory comes through the temple and through his people. Solomon's heart to build the temple for the honor of the Lord. Look at 634, if your people go out to battle against their enemies, by whatever way you shall... Over the span of time that they were there gathered, they would have had to offer about 20 sacrifices a minute, 10 hours a day for 12 days. I didn't do the math, so maybe that's about right. 
but if you want to do it, go ahead. But the point is, it was a lot of sacrifices that they were offering to God in obedience to him. Is God looking for us? What does he tell us in Romans 12, 1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that we present our bodies, what? A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice to this God to bring glory to him. The fourth, the concert of praising and thanking. And Jeduthun, their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. Can you imagine 120 trumpets blasting out the glory and praise of God? The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to do what? To give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. And then what happened? Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. We have never experienced that. I don't even think we've been close. But I think we've got to walk back through those four ideas. That we have a heart that wants to honor God and put his name on his building. That we say, God, we want you to be glorified and praised through song and instrument. God, we want to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you to glorify you in our lives. God, we want to walk in obedience to you. And I think when that happens, God is going to reveal his glory and unleash his glory in a way that we've never seen or known. Remember King Uzziah, he was in the presence of God, and he says in the year that King Uzziah, or Isaiah, he said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord holy and lifted up, and it says his train, his royal robe, his literal glory filled the temple. And it talked about the building was shaking from the presence of God and the power of God. And if we've ever needed a day where the glory of God needs to be manifest, it's today. It is today. And how is it going to happen? It'll happen when we turn his house into a house of prayer and seek the Lord like we've never sought him before. And the first prayer might be, God, I'm coming. I don't even really want to be here. But I'm coming out of obedience to you. And it may take you weeks to get to that point, saying, God, make me willing to pray for your honor and your glory to be reestablished on the earth. Instead of, God, I need this, I need that, I need that. And we need to pray those things. And I'm just as guilty as anyone. But praying for the honor and the glory of God to be reestablished. Once again, what was the, uh, oops, what is the result, the Israelites' response to God's glory? Look over in chapter 7, 2 Chronicles. Look in the first verse. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven 
and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. I mean, can you imagine? That's what they did when they came to worship. They would put their faces literally on the pavement and kneel before the God of gods and the king of kings. The humility and recognizing God's glory. The reverence. In Jeremiah 10, 6, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great in your name is great in might. Psalm 48, 1, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. When we recognize the greatness of God. Isaiah 40, 26, talking about him creating the stars and calling them by name, by the greatness of his might. And he says, not one of them is missing because he holds them all in place by the word of his power. That's the glory of God. I'm not going to have time this morning, but if you want to jot down Romans chapter 1 and verses 18 to 23, it talks about the wrath of God is revealed against heaven because people had rejected seeing God's general revelation and they would not give him glory. They refused to give him glory. And therefore, in the way they did it was they held back and blocked the truth. The danger in our day is to block the truth from people will stifle the glory of God. That's the verse we read a moment ago. He remembered God's word. He knew of God's faithfulness to do what he said, that God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He says he keeps his covenant of love for us. He honors his covenant. He keeps it, and he keeps his word we need to accept the discipline of God. If we go back into Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 through 5, he humbled you when they were in the desert. We accept the discipline of the Lord. We want to remember his word and accept his discipline. We won't take the time there, but at Matthew 26, Peter denied Christ three times. And then it says that the rooster crowed, and it says that Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And one of the things that we do when we gather week by week is we are remembering the word of the Lord. We're proclaiming his word. We're sharing the scripture. Why? Because that's where God is glorified. When his word is shared, he is glorified. We accept the discipline of God. And that discipline can come in the form of trials. It can come in the form of trials. 
where God tests us. And why does he do that? To see what's in our heart. That's what he says earlier in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He tested them to see what was in their heart. And he did it with the Israelites as well. He'll do it with us. We have to accept the discipline of the Lord. Secondly, we walk in his ways. Deuteronomy 8, 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering And observe my decrees and the laws I will establish your royal throne as I coveted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a man rule over Israel. But then he gives the warning, if you turn away, this is what's going to happen. The temple's going to be destroyed. God's glory will leave. And they will be humiliated and taken captive. And interestingly enough, when you read through Solomon's prayer, he actually prayed that if God's people go into captivity, he said, I pray that if they pray to you, that you will deliver them, you will hear their prayer, you will forgive their sin, and bring them back. In other words, that you will reestablish your glory, you will reestablish your place, so that your name might be known. So what is our responsibility? God has called the church to be a house of prayer. If the church will not be a house of prayer, where will it be? And who will do it? It's up to us. God has called his church to be a house of prayer. Though one of the hardest things you will ever do if you've never been involved in corporate prayer is come to a corporate prayer meeting. It can be very intimidating for you to come if you've never been involved in it. I've been involved in some all-night prayer meetings. And yes, it's very hard to stay awake. <laughs> very hard. But to be able to come together and seek the face of God for our nation, our church, our community. I mean, you look at what's happening with our Supreme Court talking about marriage. It should not even be a discussion. It's horrible. And on the back of your sermon notes, you have the contact numbers. And I encourage you to contact our government officials and tell them to stand for marriage, the biblical definition of marriage, to take a stand, to tell them to stop ISIS. We as the church need to stand up and speak up for God, for God's glory and God's honor. You know, the biggest thing with ISIS is they are attacking the honor and glory of God because they're attacking his church. That should hit us right in the heart. They're attacking the honor and the glory of God. And that's offensive to God's people. We need to stand up as the church. Let's stand together for a word of prayer.
As you bow your heads and close your eyes, the last verse that I had on here, I don't know if it's going to come up, but I'll read it to you again. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. That verse is repeated by Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew 21 when he cleansed the temple. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. The challenge for us is to be men and women, boys and girls of prayer, to seek the face of God. None of us have arrived. I have not arrived by a long shot. It's an area I want to grow in. And I trust it's an area that you are challenged to grow in and that you will consider this Wednesday night meeting in here in the auditorium because I'm trusting that there won't be room big enough in any other room to meet to seek the face of God and to honor him. I'm not going to ask you to pray in front of a big group. We'll break up into small groups and, and seek the Lord. But I challenge you to make it a priority to seek the Lord. And I know there'll be times where people are on vacation, uh, work things will come up. I understand that. Uh, vacations, so, you know, I understand that. <laughs> but just as you have opportunity uh, to be here, uh, to be a part of that, uh, I invite you. I also invite you, for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, uh, you are not a part of God's church and God's family until you have acknowledged the fact that you're a sinner and before God and have been convicted of your sin, the guilt of your sin before a holy God. Your sin separates you from God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and shed his blood that we could be forgiven. Christ in us, the Bible says, is the hope of glory. Christ wants to come into your life and transform you from the inside out. You can't change yourself. God can change you. He can take your sins and remove it as far as the east is from the west and give you a brand new heart. If God has convicted you, it doesn't matter if you've grown up in a Christian home, whatever the case might be, you have to personally accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. What can wash away my sin? We sang about this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is the answer. I offer you Jesus. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll be shaking hands at the back. Uh, speak to myself or someone else. Or if you have another spiritual need uh, that you would like us to pray about, uh, we'd be glad to pray with you. Uh, about that need. So let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.